Well, I see okay. those comments on the... Uh... We're good to go. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Manny Grossman, and he's been doing his own research into what's known as the Son of Sam case. And there was a recent documentary that was just put out on Netflix called Sons of Sam, plural. And Manny knows a lot more about the plural Sons of Sam than really what the police were telling people what happened back in 1975. And I've done a num my own inquiries. I've written an article about the Arliss Perry death because of its connection to Crowley Moss, October 12th, which was Crowley's birthday, which occultists celebrate. But I've also done some recent interviews as well. One was with Michael Benson. That was last month. His book was The Wicked King Wicker, The Son of Sam Siege Upon New York City. I also did one with Thomas Henry Horan about Son of Sam Berkowitz did not act alone. And then me and Roberta Glass of the True Crime Report talked about the Sons of Sam documentary. So that's some background. But Manny has really original research. And, and people were telling me, hey, William, you got to get this guy on your show. You got, And I didn't really know who Manny was, but I've been reading through his work on YouTube. You can go to Manny Grossman and uh, see his videos. And he's walking around. And for me, just it was an excellent job because it gave me insight that I didn't have from reading these books. So you can really see kind of this creepy element of Untermeyer Park and and that area of Yonkers where all this stuff happened. But he can talk more about that. So Manny Grossman, are you there? Yes. Thank awesome. you, William, for having me. Much appreciated. Well, he I, hello to the crowd. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you say, uh, agreeing to the interview. Really fascinating research. I watched three of your videos. I saw the entirety of the first one you did Thank with you. Jason Goodman of Crowdsource the Truth. So that was fascinating. And you just put a second one up a couple days ago. Yes. But for people may not have heard you maybe i think there's definitely some buzz but if people have not heard your background can you talk about what led you to your own personal investigation into what's known as the son of sam True sure practice. yes thank you and yeah no one really knew me more, uh, about two months ago no one knew who i was because i was completely unknown um Never had a YouTube channel, never had a Twitter, never never had any really social media, just wasn't my thing. Um, I was able to somehow eke out a living here in New York City without having any of that stuff for many, many years. But um, I'm not a newbie to the case. I go back to Son of Sam to 1993 when I was a 20-year-old college student and I was hanging out with a friend of mine in uh, up in Yonkers, coincidentally enough. See, I live right near where all of this took place. I live in the North Bronx. I've lived here my entire life and I still live here now. Um, so I'm very close to all these sites. And so in 93, I was just hanging out with my friend, didn't know anything. This was quite near Untermeyer Park up in Yonkers where he lives, literally just down the block. And we were just hanging out one day. His father was there and his and they just started talking about, hey, Manny, did you know that Berkowitz was a member of a cult? They used to hang out in Untermeyer Park. They would worship the devil and sacrifice kids. And they went out and shot people. No, I had no clue, man. What are you talking about? Yeah. And, th and they, so they told me this story. And, of course, it intrigued me. But the, my friend's father went a little further. He told me he was a fireman. He told me that in 1977, he was uh, called to a scene of a fire in Berkowitz's apartment building. Most likely the fires that were caused when um, somebody, they say it was Berkowitz, put uh, uh, bullets in front of Craig Glassman's door and, some, some, and then lit him on fire. And in either case, he ended up in Berkowitz's apartment, my friend's father. And he told me that it was really strange because he was there about two or three days before the arrest 
And Berkowitz's apartment was pristine, clean. Everything was folded. Every, there was not a speck of dust in that entire apartment. And then, of course, two days later, three days later, what happens? He gets arrested in a, and his apartment is, it looks like a madman lived there. Holes punched in the wall, pornographic literature thrown all over the place, um, all his belongings completely gone and taken out of the apartment. So that was my first introduction to this whole notion that maybe the Son of Sam case wasn't all that it seemed. And of course, I was 20. I wasn't all that concerned, but it was something that always stuck in my mind. So what I did, William, over the subsequent years was basically everybody who I met that was from Yonkers, I just started talking to them about Son of Sam. Um, sort of an early, what I'm doing now is in a very influenced by Jason Goodman, this whole crowdsourcing uh, notion of trying to get information from the viewers as well. See, I'm not an occult expert. I'm not an expert in symbology or any of this type of stuff. Um, so the crowd can bring all this stuff in. So in the, in the 90s, I was just asking questions and people were telling me stories. That's the thing about Son of Sam that's so intriguing. Every William, everybody seemed in Yonkers seemed to know about it, right? right. That, that there was this cult hanging out in Untermeyer Park and they were killing dogs in the middle of the night, sacrificing kids, doing all sorts of weird stuff. Everybody knew, everybody was talking about it. And so, of course, it really, for my mind, this was very intriguing. And so um, culminating in about 2003, 2004, when it started to get very heavy for me, uh, that's when I started to meet people who were involved. Um, people who were friends with David Berkowitz, people who were friends with John Wheaties Carr, people who knew about things that they probably should not have known about in terms of the, the crimes. And um, that's, of course, when I also started getting my life threatened. People started getting, you know, why are you asking all these questions, dude? What's going on? It was just this very weird period where I just felt like everything was converging and, and I was meeting all these people and then it got a little hairy and I kind of put it on the back burner and started a new career in gardening and landscaping, which was um, what I was happily doing until March 2020 when, of course, um, the entire country shut down. Cuomo shut down my state of New York and essentially put me out of business. I was uh, just a happy, happy landscaper had tons of clients in the city. I was having a great career teaching at the New York Botanical Garden. And in subsequent months, once what I call the pandemic started, um, that's when all my clients started firing me for not wearing a mask. I got fired from NYBG for daring to talk about Bill Gates, um, cancel culture, all that stuff started happening to me. So I'm sitting here, and excuse me for speaking so long, William, but I'm, no, I'm just trying to, no, trying, to, trying to bring the audience up to speed. <laughs> Mainly because I don't have any sort of, um, you know, internet presence before this video series. Uh, so I'm sitting there shell-shocked. March, April, May of 2020. All this, all, my entire career. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people in the audience can relate to this. I'm, I'm just one in a million of, of millions of people this happened oh, to. Yeah, tens of millions. Yeah, for sure. tens of millions of people this happened to. And um, so for the first few months, I was shell-shocked. I didn't know what to do. Um and I turned to YouTube for, I guess, solace just to pass the time. And I started um, watching certain YouTubers, uh, two in particular, uh, The Dollar Vigilante, uh, Jeff Berwick, who I like very much, and also Jason Goodman from Crowdsource the Truth. And both of these guys were doing what was called the walk and talk. 
and I and basically just walking around town and talking into the camera off the cuff, extemporaneously, free association, um, stream of consciousness. And I found it to be a very powerful medium. So I, uh, after many, many months, one morning, I just literally decided, okay, I had this artistic itch. Son of Sam has always been in, in my mind. Um, I'm, I live so close. Uh, I'm going to go out and do a walk and talk on Son of Sam. So that led to the first video, which actually that first video, if I could, I'd get rid of it if I, if I could, mainly because when I first started this, Willi this project, William, I was just planning on telling the story of the ultimate evil. I wasn't involved in the investigation. I wasn't involved with investigators. Um, so my knowledge was basically just like an average internet uh, uh, researcher's knowledge with a little bit more thrown in because I had met people who were involved and who had told me stories. But still, I was telling the story of the ultimate evil. After that first video came out, it started garnering a lot of attention. Uh, I had no idea that Josh Seaman was making his excellent documentary that was going to come out just a couple weeks out uh, later. The, the, my, it was that came out May fifth. My first video came out in mid April, uh, or maybe even late March. I wasn't. I'm not sure. I don't remember at this point. I think but, it says um, March seventeenth, right there. Yeah, the March first 17th. one was Yonkers Intermare Park. Right. I just did it, and I had no plans to do another one and I didn't even know Josh Seaman was making his documentary nothing like that it was just something that I wanted to do to basically scratch an artistic itch and so once I did it though I started getting some attention uh, which I couldn't believe I figured 10 people would watch the video and that would be that but what happened was uh, the comment section started blowing up and I started getting comments from people who were involved with Maury Terry's investigation, uh, people who were involved with Carl DeNaro. I don't know if, if you know Carl DeNaro. He's the son of Sam victim. Well, I was on the, one of the long-term investigations was the Ultimate Evil group on Facebook. So I was on there mm. with DeNaro before Maury Terry died. So probably 2012, 2013. I was on there with Ed Ackerman. But there was a lot of information being exchanged. And there was always rumors that Terry was somebody, at least a front person or himself, was kind of ghost watching all of the exchanges taking place there. Yeah, that, that was the that was the rep. There was a, he had a, a handle called Trudy Leak that he right. used as uh, a That was him a, then. See, I yeah, never that, had that confirmed, but I remember that person was posting very frequently. So that was Terry. So people were engaged in talking to Terry, and that was Denaro. So a right. lot of people were on there, a lot of researchers too. I think that... Uh, Dave McGowan was on there. So a lot of kind of wow. some figures. Yeah. Wow. I read Dave McGowan in the early 2000s. Big influence on me. Well, uh, I have a, a tie-in with Dave McGowan because he said that in Weird Scenes, uh, his book, that Laurel the Van Cortlandt is, is Crosby. David Correct. Crosby is a Van Cortlandt, yeah. So. And, I, and I talk about that in, in, my, in my video on Frankie's Castle, which was a, uh, a ritual site in Van Cortland where the 22 disciples of hell used to practice their, which used to do their rituals. But yeah, the group on, the group on Facebook, um, it's very interesting because, uh, we, I mean, we can get into a whole discussion of that. <laughs> but I had no knowledge of even this group existing. Um, but once the comment section started blowing up, uh, I got in, um, I became very quick friends with Jess D who was working with, uh, Carl. I became very good friends with Carl as well and went out on a walk and talk with him. 
and um, and, a, and a gentleman by the name of John Mitchell, who wrote a book called Before Son of Sam, which is an interesting little ebook. And the three of us became very quick friends and really, really good uh, investigative partners as well. And they started hipping me to a lot of information that I had no idea existed. And In just, fact, to, let, just yeah. to let the listener know that there was always a research group around Maury Terry as well. So he kind of, they mentioned that in the Zeman documentary, I think, but um, they talk about that. And so this is kind of like you have networked into that pre-existing group that was there. And it's pretty fascinating. And, the, and the, I highly recommend the listeners go to your YouTube channel, Manny Grossman, and check out the one hour walk with Denaro because oh, yeah. he just lays out tons of information. You guys walked to the site where we shot. Sorry. So we yeah we walked his we walked his shooting scenes and all of this grew organically like you said I I had no idea that 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 they even existed but um, unbeknownst to me there was actually a lot of drama behind the scenes with Maury Terry's group uh, for one when he was alive William apparently he was a um, like a wordsmith he liked to put the clues in riddles and he made his team like he, he, he kind of like compartmentalized everything and gave only a little information to this person and a little information to that person and no one could quite come together to make connections weirdly enough um maury terry just had some weird quirk of his personality where he felt like he owned the case and he wasn't going to let anyone else do any of the work and and i think I hate to say it, but it took Maury Terry's passing for his investigative team to start, and many years after his passing, for them to start feeling comfortable to start sharing this. And I just happened to come by at this opportune time, completely accidental. I mean, I say, tell people that there's a, I feel that there's a zeitgeist right now happening in the universe vis-a-vis -vis Son of Sam. And I also feel in a weird way like I'm being used to solve this case. I know it sounds very strange and mystical, but um, just experiences in my life have led me to believe that. And so these guys took me under their wing. Well, you're, Our, you're just to interrupt, but you're kind of at the right time because I kind of perceive Maury Terry as an old school investigative reporter gumshoe, right. not a lot of technical skill. I don't think he could do what you did. And I think that you're right. There was a lot of stuff that it wasn't shared with the public, which I think you we're uh, definitely exposing your in your YouTube show. Uh, yeah, and it and it, no problem. And it came in dribs and drabs, but now we are starting to get some seriously hardcore inside information from, from literally from Maury Terry's own words, emails that he sent to people that were never that were never um, aired publicly. In fact, one of his emails to Carl Denaro is the basis for my last video, where I am starting to expose this shadowy group called Catholics for Latin America. And I'm and I'm alleging that they were one of the gr groups behind what was happening in this Lake Avenue business district of Yonkers uh, with regards to these satanic rituals and things like that. But yeah, what I feel like um, I wanted to do mainly in this video series, William, was sort of if you think of Maury Terry's book as like a coloring book, it wasn't colored in, right? right? Even as a reader of it and who, somebody who lived literally a mile away from where all this happened i felt like i did i wasn't getting a good picture of like the scenes from his book the places so i felt like there was a great 
opportunity for these walk and talks, show people the places and also tell them the story. But it's become so much more now because now we're getting into to really obscure stuff about the about the Son of Sam case, which it's actually causing a rift in the Son of Sam world. Weird, weirdly enough, some some quarters are getting very angry at me for concentrating only on Yonkers and sort of not and sort of ignoring the the wider, you know, the California, right. the process stuff. Right. Um, or or uh, North Dakota, right? Mino. I'm not I'm definitely not discounting North Dakota, um, mainly okay. because John Weedy's car, the son of Sam car, uh, um, was killed in Minot. And also you, you can't ignore North Dakota. There's just too much evidence that there was um, satanic activity happening out there. Those those scenes from uh, Sons of Sam were incredible. They those were incredible. Two cops, he says, yeah, I saw like my car, one of the car brothers licking John blood john carr mm -hmm. from a dead dog i mean it's off the charts yeah i mean the stories about john weedy's car are, are really off the charts as you say but um yeah and we spoke to glenn geetson uh one of the uh detectives on that case we spoke to him a couple weeks ago we decided not to make a show with him mainly because he wasn't he was a little boring. Uh, let's just put it that way. And we felt like he, he had said what he needed to say in Josh Zeman's documentary, but um, yeah, big, big props to Josh Zeman because his, and, and him and I are friendly. He, he contacted me um, after, I don't know, my fifth or sixth video came out. I guess there was a buzz out there happening that I was, I was completely unaware of, honestly. Oh, there definitely is. Cause I kept getting, I actually got one yesterday. You got to see this guy, Manny Gross, you know, <laughs> Manny Gross was video. I said, I'm already on it, but somebody hey. had other people telling me this is incredible. Thanks. And I got to hey. give you credit too, because from reading the book, I think it just gives credence to what you just said. You don't see the stuff. You see these pictures that are separate, but you don't see it all together. When you're walking down that aqueduct, you're walk or you're that trail. You're seeing all the car family. You're David Berkowitz is in this apartment. He could chuck a rock and hit the you car. You can see Wicker house. Street, yeah, right? And you Street's also get it, right, and you also get a feel for the actual route that these cultists took um, when walking to Untermeyer Park. Uh, you can see and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, but we're showing um, again back to the whole coloring book, like coloring in the, the ultimate evil. We're we're getting into stories that Maury Terry gave like a, a sentence to or or a paragraph to. We're filling in those blanks like crazy because again, we're getting all this information now that we had no clue existed. And and uh, honestly, it's making me a little bit disappointed because I was a big fan of Maury Terry and I still am. But I, before this whole video series came out, I, I wouldn't say I worship the guy cause I don't really worship, you know, human beings, but, but I have had, and of course I still have a lot of respect for him. But what I realize now about Maury Terry William is that he was a massive gatekeeper. It turned out that he gave 200 pages to California and the process and Manson and Long Island and Bernard Legeros and all this stuff. When, in my opinion, the really interesting stuff was happening on a five block radius in Yonkers, New York. And one of the things that I think people don't remember in all of the noise about Son of Sam was that this story took place in Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx and Yonkers. Um, so there's a massive story still there, still un, uncovered, uh, uh, undiscovered. And Maury Terry knew a lot about this stuff. I talk about that in my Karen Wallstrom video. He was hearing about John Weedy's car practicing witchcraft in 1960. 
all right? He was hearing about girls from Sacred Heart Academy. I'm sorry, Sacred Heart High School, uh, which is right around the corner from Gorton High School in the Lake Avenue Business District. He was hearing about them practicing witchcraft in Untermeyer Park in 1961. So for him to leave these, these stories out, to me, was almost an unforgivable offense. However, right, but you even said in your video that he knew them, that he was in their social kind of clique or something like that. He had to have known that, but he never portrayed that. My memory may have failed me, but I don't recall that in the book at all. He, In fact, in the book, he actively covers it up. He talks about how he completely forgot about John Carr, and then he was somehow reminded of him, like a friend, hey, hey, you went to school with John Carr, don't you remember? Oh yeah, I remember. He kind of acted like a like a class clown in homeroom and and then that was the extent of it. But meanwhile, we have a story written by Maury Terry himself in the Facebook group. So only the people in the Facebook book group knew about this, but it was called Death of a Teacher and it was the story of Karen Wallstrom the night of her alleged murder. And it goes into all this detail about how Maury Terry knew how he was, how John Carr was hanging out with known uh, sexual molesters and predators and sodomizers, particularly an individual who goes by the moniker Scout. Uh, now we know who Scout is. We know his name. We, he's still alive. We know who what uh, who he was, and we know where he is now. Um, Scout was a major rapist of young kids in that Lake Avenue business district of Yonkers, and he was hanging out with John Carr as early as 1961. He was a little older, and Maury Terry was hearing about them going to practice witchcraft. So for Maury Terry to pretend that he didn't know John Carr very well, to me that opened up a whole new insight into the man and also the book. And I vowed in my video series that we're going to find out what he didn't tell us, and we're going to and we're going to color those in again. But do you he, think that it might have been like a self-preservation thing, not to mention him, because that there were other members, twenty-two members of the Sons of Sam out? I mean, maybe there's a reasonable explanation for not talking about it. Maybe that was something he wanted to keep secret. I don't know. I'm not coming Absol to his defense, but no, 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 no. You can absolutely, um, totally. As I, as I, as I sort of been thinking about this in my mind remember he was doing this in real time i mean it wasn't 2021 when he was doing this it was 1978 1980 1981 these people were young men they were still alive these these members of the 22 disciples of hell and they were local to yonkers they were still living there so definitely there was a self-preservation involved there was also the issue of not wanting to get sued but then you could allow your mind, if you're conspiratorial enough, and I can go there. I'm not saying I believe what I'm about to say, but I could definitely have the argument with someone and 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 and, and discuss this. Was Maury Terry actually just a limited hangout? Was he? Uh, and and Jason Goodman brought this up to me the other day, and it blew my mind. Was Maury Terry actively covering up for another reason? And of course. I don't, I'm not prepared to go down that road yet. I still believe that Maury Terry was on the side of good in all this. But well, um, it is convenient that didn't he publish his book after the two Carr brothers were dead? So, like, well, he publicly, but yeah, but he didn't, yeah, he published it several years after. But I don't know if there's any real the murders were 75, he published 76 it what, and 77, 76, 77. Sorry, and then it was the book was published, what 86? I believe right? the first printing was 86 or 87. And um, yeah, I mean, so there's, there could be a million reasons. Maybe he didn't want to get sued, uh, but 
I, I don't know. I think I think you, one could make a reasonable argument that it was mainly he didn't want to get his head blown off. Remember, he was discussing what a lot of people don't re- seem to what a lot of people seem to forget when we're talking about Son of Sam is we're talking about homicidal maniacs who thought nothing of blowing people's heads off. So, um, you know, we're not talking about innocent, you know, school teachers here, although there are some school teachers involved for sure. <laughs> I mean, that's what I think you're you're video series gets in is this background that it's a much larger group that surfaced in what 76 77 this whole thing was going on going on for a while well that's what that's the thing william i went where the evidence was showing me i had no real agenda going into this other than to tell the story that maury told and that was it but once i started getting information about the lake avenue area of yonkers the boy scout troops the, the the known predators and molesters who were grooming young boys in that in that neighborhood Uh, and then learning about um doctors who were performing really funky experiments on people and then learning about catholics for latin america that was importing untraceable children into that neighborhood and then a doctor who was the head of that who was brother-in-laws with the Carr family and they found two dead kids across the street from his house i mean to me, Yonkers, Yonkers got very interesting at that point, and I decided, I decided just for my own sanity's sake, I was going to concentrate on Yonkers because it was something that I could actually do rather than worry about Charles Manson and, and the process and Alistair Crowley and all that kind of stuff. So how did your progress? You did that first walkthrough video, which is fascinating because you're walking by Untermeyer. You walk to the car residence. You see Berkowitz's apartment building. And you're starting to get people to just send you information. So a lot of the people in these groups are sending info. And and then how is it progressing from there? Well, it was very organic and very, very cool. So what happened was in that first video, now it's hard for a lot of people to sit through an hour. um, But if you do sit through an hour, I actually give in that video quite a lot of gold nuggets in there. I, I bring you down to an area called Ravine Avenue, which is where um, I was told in in the year 2002 um, by by a gentleman who has to remain nameless, but he told me that his aunt and uncle owned the yellow Volkswagen, the famous yellow Volkswagen uh, that everyone knew about in the Son of Sam investigation. I bring you down there. Then I also tell the story that I briefly mentioned earlier in this interview about a man that I met who I'm convinced was a shooter. He was from Yonkers. He was the the right age. He knew we, he called John Carr Wheaties. He didn't even call him John. He called him Wheaties. Uh, he knew Berkey's nickname, John, uh, David Berkowitz's nickname, Berkey. He said, I hung out with these guys. Um, and then he started really acting weird. He started talking about Stacy Moskowitz all the time and making shooting noise. Uh, uh, anyway, long story short. Jess D, the super sleuth, a member of Carl DeNaro's team, she wrote a comment saying, I know who you're talking about, okay? Now, I was very careful not to give names, so I was a little bit worried. Who's this person who knows what I'm talking about, who I'm talking about? So her and I did some private email exchanges, and she convinced me to give up the name, okay? Uh, Once I gave her the names of these people, she then did her super sleuthing. And in literally 10 minutes came back with about 20 different articles from the Yonkers newspapers, basically saying, Manny, you could be right. Whoa, look at these people who they're associated with. This guy who you're telling me about, he grew up in Mulford Gardens, which a lot of Son of Sam people came out of Mulford Gardens. It was like a public housing project in Yonkers. This guy might have known this person. Oh, man, the owners of the yellow Volkswagen. Holy cow. 
they connect with all these people. So in within the span of like two hours, me and Jesty became like best friends. And we started really working together really well. And then it just blew up from there. They started giving me all this information from the Facebook group. Carl DeNaro started getting involved and giving me information. And so now what, what went from just me retelling the story of the ultimate evil with throwing in a few little things, it's become, this video series has become an avenue of original research now, essentially picking up from where more, not only from where Maury Terry left off, but also resurrecting the actual work that he was doing um, and bringing it to light because he kept it hidden for so long. Uh, again, who knows why, but I call Maury Terry the ultimate gatekeeper. Right. Uh, and for people who don't know, uh, Carl DeNaro just put out a book, The Son of Sam and Me, The Truth About Why I Wasn't Shot by David Berkowitz. So that's uh, also recent. So there's all this stuff surfacing. It's pretty incredible yeah. how it kind of came around at this time. It's but yeah, you have, you have in your videos some of those old articles that you found about these characters, this car father and all these people. And some of the sons were very clever. Like you said, one of the sons, I can't remember which one, but very talented. Yeah, Michael was a good writer talking right. about world government at a very young age. So... Yeah, that's the video. Uh, your audience, I, I'm pretty sure that they can see the my page up here. If you look the fourth video from the top row, it's called um, Deep Inside the Car Family. Um, correct, that one right there. This is where we talk about that. This came about because um, I was just given the marriage certificate of uh, Francis and Sam, the father and son, the father and mother of John and Michael. And I was also given a letter that Sam Carr had written to the Yonkers Herald Statesman in the early 60s talking about how we need to beat kids up. We need to hit their bottoms with rubber hoses. We need to hit their knuckles with rulers. Super and that's abusive, yeah. yeah. And then, and then it, it dawned on me, wait, this was a family that raised two homicidal maniacs. Let me look a little deeper into them. And we found out some really amazing stuff. We're alleging. We don't have we don't have proof yet, but we're alleging that there might have been an intelligence operation running out of the Carr household. Francis Carr, the mother of the family, was a corporal in the Marines in 1945, stationed out of uh, Henderson Hall in Virginia, which I've been told is a place where intelligence oper operatives were stationed. We're still parsing that out, but. Then it is have, remarkable. It wouldn't be the first time an occultist was in an intelligence office. Correct. I mean, yeah, you hear about all this. I mean, Michael Aquino, all these Crowley, guys. Crowley, all these guys. Yeah. Right, exactly. So, so then we started looking more into the Carr family. And yeah, we realized that both Sam Carr and his son, Michael Vale Baron Decharnowski Carr, I use his entire name. I just enjoy using his entire name. Um, I call them little letter writers. They loved writing letters to the newspaper. They loved writing missives about how complaining about this person and what and and what the city should do to improve this here. And then Michael Dekarnowski Carr writes this letter about world government and how we need to uh, uh, the have UN, the, yeah. the UN, right? And it's like, and then we found out this was not in the video. I found this out afterwards. This might, this might blow some of your viewers' minds. Michael Vale Baron Decharnowski Carr, brother of John Wheaties Carr, suspect and son of Sam shooting at the Eliphas Disco, and of course one of the sons of Sam Carr. He went to Rhodes Prep Academy, R H O D E S, named after who? 
Cecil Rhodes, Cecil Rhodes right. with his with his two hundred year plan to um. There's the letter. Yeah, see, here's the letter. And if you want to pause that, your your did, audience can read that. So so Cecil Rhodes, of course, with his two hundred year plan to destroy the the Five Eyes countries, which which we're probably right in the midst of right now, right? So so now being an open minded person, right, who who is going where the evidence and where the where all this is leading. I'm now saying, was Son of Sam an intelligence operation? Um, and the answer is, I don't know. I, I, I'm, we're, this is blowing my mind just like it's blowing the, the audience's mind. And I think that's one of the reasons why people like this is because we're going through this together. Right. right. It's like a crowdsourced investigation, Correct. which people can follow on your thing. But it's also like, I think you acknowledge that you don't think that Berkowitz wrote that first letter. It was too... Hell no. It's not a matter of don't think. I, I'm positive of it. I'm I'm convinced Michael Carr wrote the second letter. I don't know who wrote the first letter, but neither of them were in Berkowitz's handwriting, and neither of them were in in um. You know, you, you, when you write, you have a style, just like you have a handwriting that's in, unique to yourself. Just like you know, John Bonham when he played the drums, it sounded like John Bonham, right? Like get Neil Peart plays the drums, it sounds like Neil Peart. You can't change who you are. So if you read Berkowitz's letters and if you look at his handwriting, it's night and day from the Son of Sam letters. And um, those Son of Sam letters, they have a dark poeticism to them. Somebody correct. intelligent wrote those full of inside little jabs and jokes, like very uh, mocking. Correct. And that was the whole thing about the investigation is they ignored all that stuff. Wicked King Wicker, Wheaties, Raper of Tom Women Wheaties. and Children. How did somebody who's a Raper of Women and Children, where's that investigation? Exactly. Did, Thank it, you. It, yeah, it doesn't comport, or or it, it conflicts with what happened with the whole Ber Ber uh, Witz, Berkowitz arrest, etc. Like works off this other information. And what's even crazier, William, is that if you read the Ultimate Evil, um, d d um, Maury Terry found this out about John Weedy's car the day after Berkowitz, the day of Berkowitz's arrest, just by looking in a Yonkers phone book. It said John Wheat Car. And then he made a couple calls and that, and he found out that John Carr's nickname was Wheaties. And he's like, why is John Carr's name in a son of Sam letter? So if like a average, you know, he worked for IBM at the time, Maury. And um, so if an IBM worker, you know, who knew how to write somehow can somehow figure this out, what was up with the cops? How come they didn't do their, their job? Well, I did a interview with uh, detective Hank Sonati. You can see it uh, right uh, three videos down from below this letter. Now, correct. Now, before you get, oh yeah, I guess you could just play because you can't. Tony, hear. pause it. You're, uh, you're right there with him, right? Correct. This pause is his it. Place. For, pause it for a second because sure. one of the reasons, and sorry for speaking no, so much. No, no, please do. Go. One of the things that I wanted to do with this video series that I felt was extremely important for the audience was um, not only giving a, a stories about the what I call the nameless and faceless in the ultimate evil. I do that with Karen Wallstrom. Now I'm trying in my latest video, we tell the story about two dead kids that they dug up from a, um, a from a, a lot uh, in Yonkers. But also what I wanted to do was <clears throat> bring to life some of the uh, some of the investigators and the characters in the ultimate evil and one of the person that i always felt was never given any attention whatsoever was detective henry sanati he worked with maury terry on the particularly on the north dakota uh, investigation the two of them came together i'm not quite sure what year it was when they came together i think the late 80s mid mid 80s but um 
Detective Sonati has never been interviewed before, except for a 10 second snippet on some show in 1993. And so we just cold called him guys. I mean, everybody's like, how'd you find this dude? Well, he, I don't want to say where he lives, but it was very easy to find his phone number. And we literally just called him like, picked up a landline and called him and he picked up and we spoke to him and he we said, would you, would you um, care for, to be interviewed? And he said, yeah, me, yeah, I'd love it. And so I went to his, his apartment, which you can see here, which I thought was really, really interesting for the crowd because in the, in the book, he's, he's, he's portrayed as an extremely religious uh, a, a New York, de, New York PD police department detective. And if you look at all the, I mean, this right here, adds yeah, so much depth. Right. Yeah, yeah. If you look at all these things in the background, I mean, it's just amazing, amazing in my, for just for me, the sociologist and the, and the anthrop and, and looking at this as almost like an anthropologist yeah. to me, I would this say adds, hyper, hyper Catholic, uh, iconography. Correct. Yeah. To me, this adds so much richness and depth to the whole story that I figured that people would would love it too. And I would say that 99.999% of the people do. There is a hardcore group of people who are very angry at what I'm doing for some for some reason, and they have a lot of very nasty personal things to say, which um, for those of you who are, do are doing that, just know I find that very funny. I actually read that for entertainment. So um, if you think you're bothering me with that, you clearly don't know who you're dealing with. But Sonati's interview was interesting, getting back to the whole um, John Carr, Wheat Carr. He was getting intelligence, William, uh, coming to him in, in mid-1977 at the height of the Son of Sam case. Before he met Maury Terry or even had any clue that Maury Terry existed, he was getting intelligence uh, coming to him that Wheat and her two brothers were involved but he mentioned wheat car first now this blew my mind because you never hear of wheat car being involved in the son of sam now i'm not saying she is and i will give the caveat that detective sonati is pushing 80 years old there could be things going on with his memory okay we might have re reached him five years too late however he was very adamant about saying that wheat that he was given intelligence that wheat he said Wheat and her brothers. So it's pretty hard. Yeah, but she was pretty... in the Zeman documentary. I remember her being in there. They mentioned her name. They don't yeah. mention her as a participant. Exactly. Okay. So, so, so this is something that blew my mind, and now I want to know, like, what what was Wheat's role, if any, um, in this whole thing? So you know, it's like every time you you ask a question, you get a million more questions that you have. But to me, that's really the fun of all of this, uh, William. It's, it's well, just... there's a lot of information to mine. I mean, I don't know. There's so much, so many untrammeled pathways. There's like, who are the twenty-two? Are there really twenty-two sons of Sam? Well, uh, what other crimes have they done? I mean, they probably engage in all kinds of criminality. Are they oh, trafficking yeah. kids? It reminded me. I did a an interview about the woman who did the Oakland child killing case where there were like five kids and they never found the perpetrator, but they found the people around them and they were wealthy, well-to-do people involved in child trafficking going up right. into some island up in uh, the north of Michigan and all kinds of creepy stuff. And uh, it reminded me of that kind of, and it was right around this era. I think it was in the seventies. There were allegations right. of child porn so it's that's, almost like the same kind of underground environment was there. And that's what the son of Sam 
killing sprung out of that. That's what exactly I get the question. Yeah, the question that I have is like, how did this established group that was around for decades of of people in the North Yonkers uh, Lake Avenue business district area who were involved with child um, pedophilia? Um, who were involved in late night rituals in Untermeyer Park and all this really nefarious and disgusting activity, how did that end up as the Son of Sam shootings in the 70s? And that's what we're still trying to parse out. But the, my latest video on um, the CFLA, Catholics for Latin America, William, talks about this exact thing. We are alleging that this group, Catholics for Latin America, headed by a very prominent doctor in Yonkers who Sorry, was who down. was related to the Carr family, okay? Um, we are alleging that they were trafficking kids. Their ostensible mission was to go down to, to the poorest parts of Latin America and bring children back for a, quote, better life. They also had a mission to train missionaries up here in yonkers and send them down to latin america now we all know that the cia has dummy corporations shell groups that they that they used especially in those years in the 50s and 60s so um so we're we are seeing the same things happening in yonkers very prominent elite people in those neighborhoods involved potentially involved with serious serious crimes against children and um you know, if you want kids for a rituals, late night rituals that you want to sacrifice, well, you're not going to take them from, you know, Johnny next door, right? You're not going to take it from your next door neighbor's house. Having a conduit, a pipeline of untraceable kids from Latin America would be ideal. And then I came across an article written in, um, it was an interview, uh, um, interviewing a, a, a survivor of satanic practices and, and rituals and, in New York. And he said uh, that the only kids that he saw that were killed in these rituals uh, late at night. Now, he wasn't talking about Yonkers, but he was talking about the general milieu. Uh, they were they were Latin American kids. They were he called them Mexican kids. So like that ties know, right into like uh, Keith Raniere, Nexium, uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Correct. All kinds of kids coming from the south, coming from Mexico. Comes from Mexico, right? I mean, this could be something that they do now because it's just the established mo going back to the 1940s and 50s. And you had a story of somebody who witnessed one of this group's rituals of killing some kid, right? Then you have somebody who said at a testimony. Can you talk a little yes. bit about that just to kind of verify? Yes. Or validate this, your story. Correct. This was well. This was in a in a book. Um, by a, by a graffiti artist who goes by the moniker Fuzz One. Now, Fuzz One is kind of a problematic character. He is not the most truthful person in the world, and I didn't necessarily believe his the story that he wrote about in his book, which I'll tell your audience. Uh, but the reason why I do believe it is because it meshes exactly with the, a description of a of a satanic ritual in Untermeyer Park that Brother John. For those familiar with the ultimate evil brother john's a very famous character he was an early member of the 22 disciples of hell the the story that i'm about to relate from fuzz one's book was an exact match with brother john and those two didn't know each other so i do put a lot of credence into the story from fuzz one's book and the story is essentially um in a nutshell 
he fuzz one met a child prostitute in in van Cortland park in the bronx now van Cortland park is another area where these cultists did their really their most nefarious ritualistic activity murdering children in the middle of the night he was a child prostitute he picked up his his johns in van Cortland park he was picked up one night he was asked hey do you want to go see a party uh, he said, sure, as long as you're giving me money, I'll go anywhere with you. No problem. The guy gave him 20 bucks. They went to this, what, what was what's called Frankie's Castle, which I show in my video series. And they drugged this kid ice. Um, and he was just aware enough to see what was happening around him, um, but not able to really fight back. And he basically describes a young kid of about nine, 10 years old on an altar in this place called Frankie's Castle, there were six men, he called them men, not boys, men, uh, who were all around him chanting, walking around him naked. Then this is going to get distasteful, but you know this is the subject that we delve into in true crime. Um, the men all disrobed. They were wearing robes. They were naked underneath. They disrobed. Two women came out and slashed up these chickens and poured blood all over the men. Then the men started peeing all over the young boy. And then they proceeded to rape the young boy, both orally and anally. And then they killed the, the kid as well um, as a sacrifice, I guess, to Satan or whatever the hell they were doing. Um, and it was a very believable story in this book by Fuzz One called Last of the Old School. And the only reason why I bring it up again is because it's a, the exact same story that Brother John talked about his initiation into the cult in Untermeyer Park in the early 60s. Um, now, Fuzz One's story took place in 1974-75. Brother John's story takes place in Untermeyer Park in 1960-61, but it was the same thing kids blood poured all over them peed on anally raped all this all this crazy stuff that was happening in the middle of the of the woods of untermeyer park and then you know this whole crowdsourcing thing happens then i'm getting stories from people i i, I have a, a lady who called me from california but she grew up in in the relevant time period in the relevant neighborhood of yonkers and she said that in the early 1950s she was brought to untermeyer park with a um by a man who was into child pornography and he showed her child pornography in untermeyer park and then he started talking about being a druid and essentially just scared the crap out of her and uh, this was in 1951 in untermeyer park so <laughs> it goes all the way back untermeyer was a very interesting character yeah yeah and that park is super occultic and even if you look at the main doors where you walk in mm -hmm. it's the sign of a cross and you open it and the cross breaks up and then you walk in and straight ahead of you are two towers with a sphinx on there. Correct. Which ties directly back to Alfred Lewis Constant, a.k.a. Eliphas Levy, who said that the sign of the sphinx is to know, to will, to dare and remain silent. And you see that same theme all through in Masonry, the House of the Temple in Washington, D.C. Right. And it's so strange that that killing came out of Eliphas, which people say, oh, it sounds like an elephant. That's right. the first name of Alephus Levy's fake name. Correct. And, and you still, and that first letter has his evocation of Black Pack symbol. Right. With a little bit of a variation on it, but I've heard researchers pass over that. But that imp, that element of Alephus Levy is all there. I mean, it's incredible. And Alephus Levy mentions in his book, he mentions, uh, oh, what is his name? The guy uh, who was the child killer, too, of France. 
So he mentions it in one of his one of his books. It's, there you uh, go. Yeah. So yeah, could be so Untermeyer, I'm trying to figure out if Crowley was in New York City back for from 1914 to 1918 or 1917. And I'm well, trying to make that connection between Crowley and Untermeyer because Untermeyer was a big time big wig, heavy heavy lawyer. Yeah, it would be an interesting thing to to do to connect if you could. I know I just finished a book on Untermeyer actually, and yeah, he was like a heavy power player in New York. A lot of people think he was from Germany. Um, he wasn't. He was from Virginia. He was born to German parents, and um, he did love Germany. And he fought uh, uh, su supposedly against uh, Nazism, but he was American all the way. But he was um, involved with Warburg. He was involved with uh, all of the, Boyce Thompson. Standard he Oil. He was part guys. of the whole Federal Reserve system, yep. the beginning yep. of that, which makes him evil in my book right off the bat. But interestingly enough, he could not give that property away, Untermeyer Park. He tried to give it to his kids. None of his children wanted it. In fact, they wanted to be as far away from it as possible. They even said that the place had just an evil feel to it. Um he 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 basically foisted it off on Yonkers in his will, and Yonkers didn't even want it. Right, they only is, took part of his land. Right, they correct. only took a certain part, sixteen acres. Uh, right, and kept and it. And then you said, earth. right, in one of your walks, maybe it was the first one. They said that one, the cave of hell or whatever it was, got Devil's blown cave. up. Devil's cave is no longer in existence. Correct. Correct. They blew it up in 1984, I believe, when the uh, hospital just north of Untermeyer Park, it actually shares the same contiguous landscape. Um, there's no street that 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 intersects. Uh, it's called St. John's Hospital. They apparently expanded in the 80s and they took some more of the of the parkland. And um, and that's where the Devil's Cave was. That's where the that Maury Terry has that pictured in his book. But, I think there's uh, pictures of him in there, too. In right? there, too. Yeah, and believe me, I was looking for that place like crazy. See, back before the internet days, you, we didn't know these things. Like, oh, yeah, they blew it up in 1984. And, oh, yeah, it was hard to find these things. Um, so I remember in the late 90s going to find Devil's Cave and getting very frustrated. And it was only until I met someone a year or two later. He said, oh, no, they they blew that up. In interestingly enough, the guy who told me was also the guy who told me that his aunt and uncle owned the yellow, the famous yellow Volkswagen. So, um, which you know, was supposedly traded around much like the guns too. Like you said, correct. In, in fact, nobody really owned that gun. They just here, Joe, here, Bob, here, have correct. This. There was a huge gun running element to the son of Sam. There was one guy who I already named, um, Maury calls him Gorman Johnson in the Ultimate Evil, but we actually identify the guy as a Norman Silberstein. I know it doesn't sound like a name that you would associate with the son of Sam, but Norman Silberstein was a hard-nosed criminal, and he was a gun runner, and he also was a very, very adept getaway driver. And so he was um, one of the getaway drivers at the Loria shooting, which was the first one. And he was also involved with bringing guns into the group. But um, interestingly enough, the, the, the couple that I was told owned the yellow Volkswagen. And I can't we, – we know their names, and my investigation team knows their names. And we verified that these people actually existed and that they were very close to some of the players involved in Son of Sam. Um, the, the man in that couple, um, was a, uh, was, I was told was a gun runner as well. And he was actually, we found a, an arrest 
See, God bless the Yonkers Herald Tribune and newspapers in those days because anything we need to find about any of these people is in the is in the newspaper. They really did, yeah. So, so we uh, we found this gentleman. He got arrested um, for running drugs. Again, going back to what I'm talking about, the owner of the yellow Volkswagen, potential owner of the yellow Volkswagen, he was arrested for running uh, guns. Interestingly enough, the guy who arrested him was Wheat Carr's husband, uh, wow. John John McCabe, another guy who his, whose name comes up in the Ultimate Evil. Did you ever? Wasn't there a connection with the Sisman and Platzman murders to the Son of Sam? Did you ever research or look into that at all? I have not. I'm just still. That's one thing where I'm still going by Maury Terry's research and taking him at his word um, that what he told is the truth. Uh, for the benefit of the audience, Sisman and Platzman were two people who were killed on Halloween night, I believe, in 1981 down in Greenwich Village, and the. Um, story is that they were killed because Sisman was the guy who took uh, a snuff film. He filmed the, the killing of Stacy Moskowitz and um, that he was threatening to go public with it. So they killed him for that. I, yeah. I am going to do a walk and talk on, on Sisman and Plotsman and I yeah. hope to find out more. I would um, definitely be interested in doing that. I and mean, there's probably other deaths and things like that that just have not been, con- you know, connected to this whole cult. I mean, totally. You said there's two deaths. Nobody's found the women that supposedly were buried by this guy. He was a suffocator of women. So there's a lot more information. And this research right. is incredible, guys. You got to go check it out. Manny Grossman on YouTube. And uh, I'd love to have you back in the future. Is there anything you'd definitely. like to add? Anything you'd like to add before we kind of wrap up? Anything I missed or what? Uh, no, so I just want to, uh, just want to say thank you to y- yourself, William, and thank you to your great audience. Um, really appreciate you guys watching the videos. We're having an awesome time making them. And of course the whole thought behind this is just to bring you the most cutting edge and newest information on son of Sam. What I have happening upcoming is, um, this, this weekend, I'm going to be going out with Carl DeNaro again for another walk and talk. And we're going to be filming the sites of the very famous uh, third shooting in the Son of Sam incident. And this one was called the Lomino Demasi shooting. Two women. Uh, one's last name was Lomino and one's last name was Demasi. This is the one where John Carr, John Weedy's car, is the main suspect. But we're also going to get into Robert Maplethorpe in this video as well. So your audience might, you know, the sick Robert Maplethorpe. So your audience might be interested in that. And that should be out by Monday. Um, But I'm trying to stick to one video a week, although I'm starting to become such a perfectionist with this and so OCD that uh, I don't know if I can hang on to that schedule much longer. It might be one every two weeks because I just want them to be really good. Well, they are excellent. I highly recommend people check this out. It's Manny Grossman on YouTube. And where can people, if they want to contact you, email or you on social media? Sure. Um, Well, I do have a Twitter. It's just Grossman Manny at Twitter. And I also have a website. Um, Now, I was at one point a gardener and a garden educator. I kind of forgot about that aspect of my life, but I still make my living landscaping and and doing gardening here in New York City. So my website, which is mannygrossman.com, has nothing about it on Son of Sam. It's just all about my landscaping and gardening. I, I teach private gardening classes online as well. Um, and that's where you can find all my contact information, mannygrossman.com. Mannygrossman.com again. Okay. Manny Thank Grossman, you. YouTube, people check it out. This is really incredible research. Thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome. I'll schedule you, you in the future. I just have Definitely. to uh, 
All right, man. Take care. Have a good weekend. Okay, thanks. All right, bye-bye.